0: Welcome back to Mindful Minds. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today we're going to talk about boundaries and burnout with Dr. Delamarter, who, funny enough, was actually my academic counselor? Is that the right Advi- word for Advisor. It? Advisor. Okay, yeah. Academic advisor in college. But all that really meant was when I was in his program, basically me going to him and saying my grades are failing and I'm not eating. (laughs) Everything is falling apart and him trying to talk me off a little bit of a ledge. Um, but yeah, so it's a, this is probably the first time it is the first time I've had anybody from like a uh, almost kind of like mentor ish position in my life on the podcast. So thank you so much for coming on. You've like, I've, I've talked to you before and I've sent you emails about like how much you've drastically impacted my college career, but like, You, I went through some really crummy stuff in college and you were someone who like work was constantly checking on me, was advocating for me, was like showing up for me in ways that other people didn't show up. And my college experience was not great. And like, I always like look back on it with like fondness when I think of like my experience with you specifically as a professor and as just like the way that you were always Kind of in my corner. I I never doubted that you weren't in my corner. And I think from what I've heard from other students, like that's a very, very, very common thing (laughs) for students that went to the school that I went to is like, oh yeah, like, oh, but Dr. Telemartyr like, oh, he's great. And so many of us like follow you on Twitter and like still like keep up with you. And I think that that's just like a testament to how well you do your job. But welcome to the podcast. (laughs) How are you doing? Before
1: even (laughs) starting. Yeah. Can you edit out my blubbering? That would be great. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, No, I mean, seriously, I've, I've talked, I literally mentioned to my mom, I was like, oh yeah, I'm having, I have a podcast interview and I was like, I'm, I'm interviewing like Dr. Delamarter, and she was like, oh yeah, Delamarter. like you've talked about him before. Like he was really helpful. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I like him. And literally every person that I know that I've, that's gone to the same college as me, like we all have similar experiences where if we struggled, like it was like, oh, well, it it, like we've had a lot of us have had experiences where we've we felt kind of judged or kind of shamed and I think that you've kind of always been like a safe place for students where we know that we're not going to get judged by you and we know that we know we're not going to get shamed by you and then I think I had a really unique experience where I didn't just get like not judged and not shamed by you but then you also like fought for me in a situation that I really needed a staff member to like have my back so Thank you. I've said thank you before and I've sent you, you know, emails where I'm being all sentimental and gushy, but I, I've always have <laughs> really appreciated how you like stood up for me. So thank you.
1: You're welcome. You know, it goes both ways though. Cause when I think about the students that come in and have coffee in my office or what have you, you are, even though you've graduated and you know, I don't see you often anymore. It, I think about you and like our conversations that ranged from the totally superficial, silly, mundane to, <laughs> you know, deep confessional kinds of, um, here's my past here's, you know, here's, yeah here's my life. And, um, I'm just honored that, you know, to have the relationship with people that would, would open up to me and trust me enough to do that. So, and then, yeah, you know, I like people and students. I mean, I actually like my students, you know, so it's not like, (laughs) it's not like a chore to advocate for them or, or, you know, be on their side because I like them. So,
0: right. Right. Yeah. I mean, my, I've told people so many times, my first experience, like ever really actually talking to you was, um, I had a really weird, like first few, uh, months in college um, I had like a really significant trauma happen that I've talked about on the podcast a few months into the, into college. But prior to that, I just was like losing my mind. Cause I was like, I don't have my mom. I, I didn't realize I wasn't going to have a curfew. Like I'm my, my didn't ba- I'm not, there's no balance in my life. I was like, I had been, had really good grades in high school. And then I showed up to college and I was like, because of the lack of balance and the lack of structure that like had been in my life because of just even living in like my parents' house and there being structure, I didn't really build that structure when I got to college. So like I didn't have times that I was specifically intending for meals. I wasn't like planning out like, Oh, I should go to bed at this time. And my first like conversation with you was me literally showing up. I think it was just like a scheduled check-in that you're like supposed to do check-ins with your advisor. And I was literally like, yeah, like, Failing my classes, haven't eaten anything, haven't showered, like I haven't slept. Like I'm doing really good. Yeah. And I was full panicking and I kept referring to myself, which I did a lot my first year of college, as like, I really want like valedictorian Fina back because that was the like Fina that was really put together in high school. I had my shit together. I was doing great. My grades were great. And then I got to college and I was like, why did everything just fall apart? And literally, the first thing that you did was you said something about the fact that maybe we need to find a different Fina that isn't just going back to Valedictorian Fina like maybe there's another one to find. And then you were like, "Also, let's get you food because you can't really do much without food." So you immediately took me to like the cafe like on campus and you bought me lunch and you were like, "Let's get food in you because that's we this other stuff isn't going to happen if you have no food in you." And I don't know if I, if you know this, but I actually was really actively struggling with an eating disorder in college, like really bad, um, and was eating like one meal to like half a meal a day. So people like looking out for me, I had friends that would be like, okay, we need to go get food. Like let's go get food. So even something that was like that small that maybe didn't seem like it had that much significance, I wasn't eating like at all. So having someone be like, let's get you food is actually like, it was so impactful and like actually really important to me specifically because that, that really was like so much of it was I was not nourishing myself at all. And my brain was not working great because I didn't have energy in my body. And so it was like, it was a very like parental kind of thing to do. And I felt so like, I don't have my parents and I felt very just like I was floundering. I missed my mom. I was like crying all the time because I don't, I was like, I don't have my mom. Like I, I felt so like, I felt like I was a five-year-old again. And it just was like such a weird, like childhood regression kind of a thing, which I've since learned is very common and no one quite prepares you for that in college. Um, but yeah, it was very, it was very helpful to have like an adult an adult adult, because we were all adults, but none of us, we all were like, we all, we'd be like the grownups and then there's us um, to have like an actual adult be like, no, let's like give you a little bit of structure and like actually like do something kind of parental because it, it, it was, it was, I seriously tell the story to people all the time when I refer to like my positive experiences in college. It was like, I had this one academic advisor. <laughs> so thank you so much because that was really something that like especially the food thing. That was a really hard thing for me. And like, still that's something that like, is a huge, like kind of love language thing for me. When my friends and my family, like look out for me in that way and are like, no, we need to get food in you. Like, that's like something that is like so helpful for me. And it is helpful to have an outside perspective, be like, no, 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 we need energy. We need food because that's not super wired into my brain because it's something that I've struggled with for so long that food is not super high on my priority list, and I'm trying to retrain my brain so that it is higher. But um having other people come in and be like, "No, we need to get you food is, is has been very helpful. But you were the first person who did that to me in college and were like prioritized food, which was actually was like really impactful. So thank
1: you. Uh, you're welcome um so it's it's this is a great segue because uh when i so i introduction to myself uh, i was a high school english teacher uh before i became a, a a college professor and in my my last year of teaching high school i had a student teacher uh who was you know i was her mentor teacher and after fourth she was great up through about fourth period and then after fourth period she'd kind of fall apart and she'd like cry during class and stuff. I was like, what is going on? Right. And I I asked her finally, and and she goes, I don't know. I was like, well, did you eat lunch? And she said, no, I didn't have time. I was grading paper. So her blood sugar was just plummeting. Right. And you could watch it happen every day, right about fifth period. And so, um, you know, I did the same thing. I took her down to the school cafeteria, bought her lunch. And then I said, you got to keep like granola bars or, or something, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) in your desk drawer, uh, because the blood sugar issue was having, you know, this kind of—I um, don't know what you call it—it was—it was carrying out through every aspect of her being, right? Her her emotional yeah. being her spirit, her soul was getting crushed in the second half of the day because she just didn't have food. And you know, it's not always as simple as oh, let's go get some food. I don't eating disorders are are pretty tough to 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 kick and deal with. And and so me suggesting let's just go get some food isn't necessarily going to fix that. But if if it's an issue of I haven't built a schedule that allows me to get food, mm-hmm. you know, like I scheduled a lab for 12 o'clock and I have class at one and I have this thing at 11. And so by the time I'm done with all that, you know, the lunchtime's over. So yeah. sometimes it's as simple as a, a logistical kind of yeah. swap. Yeah. And
0: I think like with – and I've heard this a lot with people who struggle with eating disorders and are more in the recovery aspect is like I in high school spent a lot of time dieting but then in college I wasn't dieting anymore. It was just that I hadn't – food wasn't a priority for me because it hadn't been a priority for so long. And so I would go hours and hours and hours without eating and the intention for that was like, oh, well, I want to be thin And then I kind of kicked that. And then in college, it was like, that wasn't necessarily my intention, but like it wasn't a priority. And so I didn't make it a priority and I didn't like schedule it out. And I think you also come from high school environment where you have a lunch period. And that's something that like, once again, like I knew so many girls in college that like our diets consisted of like iced coffee until like 3 PM. Like that was all that we ate for college. And it was like, cause you just, I don't think it's talked about enough how much of a drastic shift there is when you go from having an environment that you don't realize is structured, but that is structured, and then you have this like total free reign and control over your entire environment, not just school, but also like, I mean, I had a curfew up until senior year, you know, like for uh, in high school. Like I I literally remember the first week of college, I had um, my roommate who was also like, we'd known each other for a long time and she was going to go out with some, we were all going to go out and like go, we would just go grocery shopping really late at night, but like not actually grocery (laughs) shopping. We just go to the Met and just like go like walk around and be annoying. And the poor Met workers had so many like dumb college students just like wandering around and being loud, like really late at night. Um, Cause they were open so late too. And um, we would like just go out really late at night or like go get dominoes or like do a lake jump at two in the morning, which is also Mm -hmm. stupid And, um, we were all like, everyone was leaving and I was like, oh, but it's like midnight. And I looked at my friend and I was like, oh my God, I don't have a curfew. And it hadn't hit me yet. Like I, it had not, I hadn't even registered that like, oh, I'm, cause I was, I'm a rule follower and it was like, oh, I, it hadn't even registered in my brain that like my parents aren't here. And it's not even that I'm breaking a rule that there, there isn't one, like I don't live with them. And I was like, oh, let's go. Like, this is fun. So we we all left and like it was like the first month of college, it was like every night we'd stay out till like five in the morning and we'd all like doing nothing bad either. Like it's so funny because it's like it was a religious college and I was not in a group of people where we'd go. I don't even know if there are partiers. I'm sure there are. I couldn't find them. I don't <laughs> there, know if they are. really, if, I'm sure, I'm sure there are, <laughs> there but are. I couldn't, I couldn't find them. I wasn't in it. I also just like, I feel like everything about my personality with how much of a rule follower and how black and white I am just like screams that I would rat people out because I probably would. <laughs> so like no one ever told me what when, when anything was happening in high school too. Like I never knew if there was anything going on because no one told me, but we were not we weren't doing anything like bad too. It was so stupid. We just like go to Fred Meyer and like, roam around for hours and like go to like go to drive-throughs really late at night, just like or go sit in the lounge till like three in the morning like doing literally nothing. and then we'd all wake up and we'd skip classes and like we'd sleep in or we would be way too exhausted and we'd be falling asleep in classes. And as I like got older and started to be in classes like you know as a junior and a senior, it was always really funny to see like some of the freshmen coming in and literally wearing like pajamas to class because it was like you could tell like they were just like like they had been up really late the night before, and it was always like right at the beginning of the school year too where it's like you know the structure went out the window and now they were just like free reigning it and didn't know how to have any
1: balance. So it's interesting. You so what you're describing is not abnormal. When I was a freshman in college, <laughs> I mean if there was a 7-Eleven about a couple blocks away. And that was like the 3am 7-Eleven run, you know, was, yep. a, um, right. Or there was a, there was a body of water. Yeah. So jumping in the water at 2am, mm-hmm. you know, or, so that's not abnormal, but the, the downside of what you're talking, I mean, there's a lot of freedom in that, right. And yeah, there's a lot yeah. of joy. In, and I would guess that some of the really good memories you have from oh, college yeah. probably are, are focused on, on some of those times with your friends where you're doing nothing and you're being stupid together and it's wonderful mm-hmm. and it's important. And it does have to happen because you, you yeah. do need to take those steps into independence and freedom. The downside is of course, by the end of that first semester, a lot of people are on academic probation because <laughs> <laughs> right. Because we all just plummet. <laughs> well, right. And it's on one hand, I mean, so I've been teaching a uh, college for 10 years now and some of these stories that you're telling are, are are kind of predictable, you know I mean you, yeah. you, you know this cycle's going to happen, and it's not a new cycle it's been going on for like I said, you know thirty years ago when I was a college freshman, you know that was we were doing the same thing, yeah, so one of the so I want to talk about a couple things today uh with self care and especially with uh teachers. I teach in the college of education, so I'm teaching people how to be teachers and and so we focus a lot on, on self-care, but there's also systems responses. And, and one of the important distinctions I want to make is that all the self-care stuff we're going to talk about, the individual response, making sure you eat, et cetera, uh, mm-hmm. that's half of the equation. There are also systemic things that work against self-care, right? And mm-hmm. um, and so a person taking care of themselves individually is great, and it's important, and it's vital, It. But it's only part of a solution to – there because these systems run us ragged, right? Right. And and the systems take and take and take. So uh, at at our university, one of the things we've done is recognize some of that. And there's a lot of data that says uh, the first three weeks of school are actually an indicator of how a college freshman is going to do um, for their first year. And then we know that the first year is a pretty reliable indicator for how they're going to do – overall in college. Like we're talking about dropout rates, et cetera. And mm-hmm. so uh, at our university, I think this is since you, since you were there, So I don't think this happened when you were there, but we now have a, a first three week of school check-in for all like grade check-in for oh, all freshmen good. where we, we were academic advising and uh, professors upload grades and, and we look and we have to have at least two things in the grade book by the first three weeks so that we can check and say, okay, who's falling behind so we can begin some of those life, inter- not punitive, it's not punishment. It's checking in to say, hey, we noticed that you haven't been going to class and you missed a couple of mm-hmm. assignments. How's your sleep schedule, right? How's your, uh, I mean, again, it's not punishment. It's it's not, it's not trying to Orwellian control. We don't tell anybody what to do. They can continue to make whatever decisions they want to make. But it is that right. what I did out of just kind of relationally, I guess, with you, right. we're trying right. to build a system that does the same thing and catches people before they fall. Because after three weeks, excuse me, after three weeks, you can still get caught up, right? Yeah, you can you can turn it around and and we'll work with you and all that. But, um, you know, after nearly a full semester, if it's week 14, you know, and now you're like, oh, I need to pass this class. Well, you know, it might be too too late to turn it around at that point. So
0: the putting in uh, grades is great, too, because sometimes like we had professors where like a, like it'd be like 4 or 5 weeks in and there still weren't grades in the grade book and it's like when you're already struggling especially in the first year when you don't necessarily how to know how to gauge how well you're doing it, it can be really difficult to be like am i failing this class cuz i don't feel super confident in it but i also don't know if i'm doing well or not
1: well there's a whole nother line of discussion that we're not going to pursue uh on. again i'm a professor of education so assessment theory and, and the use of assessments to <laughs> to monitor our progress i'm if you ever anyone out there, listeners, if you ever take a class from me, you know, the, the model of, well, there's a, a midterm and a paper and a final, mm-hmm. and that's all it that goes in the grade book. Yeah. I don't, I don't do that. <laughs> so you know, in my <laughs> classes, we're, we're checking in on, on academic and personal progress from pretty much the second day of class. Uh, yeah. and they don't all go in the grade book, but you, I mean, so you might get feedback from me saying, Hey, this is great," or Your little offer. oh, you need, you didn't quite understand this whatever it doesn't necessarily go in the gradebook though right but so there's there's assessments that you can give that are are assessments for learning the technical term is formative assessments that exist Mm -hmm. simply to to give feedback into a loop of of constant the, the teacher monitoring his or her instruction the students monitoring their like oh you know what i didn't read that chapter carefully enough i'm gonna next time i read i'm gonna take notes differently because of the feedback I got. And right. it doesn't have to go in the grade book, but we have systematized it university wide, at least for undergraduates to have, um, to have something, you know, quantitative and concrete written down that we can point to so we can jump in and help people. Uh, yeah. Early on if they need yeah.
0: No, that's, yeah, so. that's, I mean, that's literally like what you did for me. It just wasn't in a, it just wasn't like an actual system, which was right. very helpful. I mean, like, having somebody check in, and and that was also me kind of, I, I think that I am very upfront and I'm a pretty open book. And so I was comfortable enough to be honest about the fact that I was failing my classes and I like wasn't coming to class and I was really struggling. But a lot of people might not be super comfortable just being that upfront. And so I think like having the like tracking a little bit more of like, Hey, you haven't been to class. Like, are we, are we doing okay? And having someone maybe come to you and like, in a very like, you know, like non shameful way, just like, Hey, are we doing okay? Mm-hmm. Cause I think that I've even had like, um, I will, I will name drop her cause she's great. Mary Ewert, um, uh, is, she is fantastic. Great. And she's a professor at the same college. And, um, I think that there's a really, the best professors I've ever had are the professors that, T- obviously know their material and take teaching seriously, but then also are very aware that life is real and that like a classroom isn't a bubble and things happen and like things are going to happen. And it's, it, it, there's never just going to be a bubble where everything's perfect and your students don't have anything going on at home. Like there's going to be things that happen where there, there really does have to be like an acknowledgement that everybody's human. And she has such a unique like way of teaching where she's, she's real upfront with her students about like, She would walk in and be like, I had a really hard day at home today, so I might not, you know, be entirely myself. And we, it was just like this most like honest and pure, like mutual respect that we had with her where she, we had one day where she was like, I, I need to go home. Like I have something going on at home and I need to go home. And we literally were like, we will do class by ourselves. Like we've got it. And Mm -hmm. she was like, okay. And she headed out and we did a study hall and we all sat there and we exchanged notes. We stayed for the entire hour. Nobody left. And we were allowed to leave if we wanted to, but we all stayed and we all worked together and we studied and we did our study hall. We exchanged like note cards and then we all headed out when we were done. And it was just this like, it had been, she'd build a relationship with us where we, I came to her and I was going to switch my major and came to her and was like, we were supposed to do a whole lesson plan. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to teach and I don't know what to do. And she completely altered the assignment for me so that I could do a lesson plan on as if I was teaching college and do it as if I was teaching a college course on social media marketing. Cause I was really interested in that. And I was doing a lot of research on it um, for my blog, actually, and was like learning a lot about it. And she was like, let's do that. Like you're passionate about it. You're probably not gonna, if you're not wanting to teach anyways, you're wanting to transfer out of the program. Like, let's do something that you're actually invested in and passionate about so that this project makes sense to you and you actually have fun doing it and we get a good result. And if she had just been like, no, I need you to do second grade English or whatever or second grade math or whatever that I would have been like, I don't really like, like I wouldn't have been as good of a project. And I did it way better because she made some adjustments that fit for my life. And it wasn't just a me thing. Like she just did that with everybody. And I think that the whole idea of like, even when it comes to checking in and like there, there is just like, it's so important to have this acknowledgement and this like mutual trust and relationship where you do acknowledge and have grace for people. And it's like, no, I get that you're human. I'm human. Everybody's human. There's going to be situations. And I think especially in those first few weeks of college, I think freshmen's humanity really shows where everyone's like really having a lot going on. And, and it also happens to be like the first six weeks, like at, people always have some weird tragedy happen. There are so much that happens in that first six weeks where it's a weird like unlucky thing that happens where a lot of kids have like family members die or like Mm. they find out their parents are getting divorced or like they have a big breakup like a lot of really big like really weird intense life changes happen in those first six weeks and it's just like a weird coincidence thing that just seems to happen um and the first six week my freshman floor like we all did our little life group like all of us were sobbing and it was like my cousin died. Like my parents are getting divorced. My boyfriend broke up with me. Like my dog died. It was just like one thing after another of all of us were just drowning. And I think that sometimes there can be a disconnect between like teacher and student where it's like, it's helpful to have that kind of human relationship, but then also like the check-ins that I think will kind of keep you on a better route academically.
1: There's a, an educational philosopher uh, named Parker Palmer and uh, he wrote this uh, fantastic book called *The Courage to Teach*. And in the introduction, he he's talking about when you when you teach, you know, we we have these problems in the classroom. We kind of expect we think one, you know, students the student mind is a mystery. So the solution to that, of course, is that I I just learn more about you know uh, the, the sort of psychology of teaching. Or there's my content matter, right? So I need to make sure I know my content really well. But then there's a third class of problems. That we don't anticipate, generally speaking, and he says that's us, that's the teacher, and he has this this great line. He says, "When I teach, I project the condition of my soul onto my students." And Mm -hmm. I think a lot about that. That if if I am unwell as a teacher, um, I'm going to bring that unwellness to the classroom, and and I'm going to it's going to be it's going to color everything we do. Uh, So if I'm insecure. Right, um, as a teacher, and then a student asks a question, I, I'm going to interpret it as a challenge, as defiance, mm-hmm. and I'm going to lose it. right? And you've probably experienced that, where you ask what's yeah. what in your mind is a legitimate question, and the teacher goes off on you in, in, right. in some way, right? Or if I'm impatient, I'm going to project impatience in the classroom. Um, and so my own wellness. Right as a teacher, I'm thinking about pr- what you said about Professor Ewer and her full acknowledgement of her her humanness and and her her contextualization mm-hmm. of of her family and and the the things that are going on there um I believe that we we can't take ourselves I don't like to disassociate myself like well there's there's the the dr Demo that is the teacher and the rest of me then disappears when i'm in the classroom it doesn't if right. i've had a fight if i've had a fight with my wife and i come to the classroom i am bringing that no it doesn't mean i explicitly necessarily bring it in and i have to try to control it but it is there and to pretend like right. i can somehow separate my humanness into these little packages um you know i don't i don't think that that works and so all those things you mentioned i've had students in class who have just lost loved ones or have just, you know, a dating relationship has, has eventually died. Um, and yeah, those things are present and they're real in our class. We, we can't pretend like a like a classroom is this lab, you know, where it can be sterile right. and every variable can be controlled. It doesn't work that way. We are human beings and messy human beings coming together in our messiness. We come together in our messiness and it's in that, weird soup right that the magic of learning happens so uh you can fight it you can pretend it's not there or you can acknowledge it and work with it and it doesn't mean necessarily giving it free reign i mean a classroom can't turn into a counseling session necessarily you know we do have but i think there's a lot of strength and there's a lot of potential in that shared that shared space where we are fully human together uh and so I don't, some people might look at what what Professor Ewart did as a weakness. I think it's a strength. I think that's, I think that is a, um, that is practice that's born out of her years of experience, both as a college professor and in teaching high school science and she taught um, in high school math and she taught middle school math in some really rough, hard settings and, uh, and succeeded. And I think because of that, because she brought her full, humanity. It's way better than trying to compartmentalize stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think so as well. Um I think so okay, what about let's actually talk about like some tangible maybe practical applications for like burnout and well, we can start with burnout. We can start with burnout and just like how that manifests and uh you have a kind of a unique experience recently where you were able to take a little bit of a break. Um, did that, do you want to talk a little bit about that? And if, did that stem from burnout? Did that just stem from like, where did oh, that come gosh. from? Okay.
1: So there's again, so much here you're asking such good questions. Um, let's, <laughs> before we talk about my specific schedule, uh, and that allowed me to take a semester off, let's talk about the idea of rest just, just in general. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, my current field of research is uh, on uh, educational ecosystems, or the ecology of education. So not oh, ecological, not ecological education where we're learning about you know watersheds and things. but instead, like if you look at a a learning space, so a classroom is an example of a learning space. If you get a, a learning space as an ecosystem, there are all these resources that are that are there, and and that uh, according to ecological theory, they they exist side by side, but they interact; they're interdependent, and they transform each other. So, as one of those changes, it has this ripple effect and changes the other elements around it. I think that one of the most abused resources in any learning space is time. Uh, mm. It time. Think back to when you were in high school, when you were valedictorian. Fina, right? <laughs> um, and you're taking your AP classes, et cetera. How much homework did you have on a regular basis? You have school for seven, eight hours a day. And then you have, and then in the name of quote unquote rigor, you have, I don't know, an hour for, uh, for AP lit, an hour for AP history and et cetera. And then you have sports. And then um, you're still trying yeah. to have time with your friends at some point in time. And- we run students ragged. We run them yeah. ragged uh, in the name of, like I said, quote unquote, rigor. So we abuse students time. Teachers have the same thing. You know, you're you're teaching all day and then you grade at night. Then you're grading on the weekends. And there's this this lovely meme you see of of teachers around, you know, finals time. It's I'm on vacation. I'm at the beach and I have a stack of papers on my lap. And right. Right. That's not sustainable. That's that's burnout practice right because right. we're abusing a resource and the resource is time and if we don't find ways to use our time in renewable well it's not renewable right there's it's a finite thing so if we don't use it well we run out of it and that has this ripple effect on all the other parts of the ecosystem so i've been thinking a lot about how we use our time in a classroom and and i've <laughs> i i've taken a bit of a model from my my personal trainer one of my covid hobbies was a uh, um, I was like, I'm going to get buff right over, over COVID. <laughs> and so I built a little gym in my garage and I, I, uh, I have a friend from high school who's now a, a personal trainer. And so we hooked up on Facebook and right. Got the video thing going. And so we're doing it. I'm seeing the gains. Right. And I'm, I'm drinking the right. protein shakes and I've, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, and, uh, I'm like, let's do it again. That, that workout we did yesterday was great. Let's do arm day again. You know? And he's like, no,
0: mm-hmm.
1: no, today is a down day. I was like, what do you mean? He goes, we're going to get out the, the bike and cycle really easy for like half an hour. And then we're going to do a couple of little things and that's it. It's like, no, but I want the gains. It's like, that's how you get the gains. You get the gains yeah. by, by resting. And now right. I know that, I know that, but, but something about the way he said at that time clicked in. Right. And I thought, right. Oh, what have I done to my students? Right. Have mm-hmm. I created a system in which, I'm not alone is every day arm day right? for my, for my right. students in, in whatever class I'm teaching. Am I in the name of rigor? Am I, am I creating a workload that never allows for rest, never allows for the reflection that's necessary for growth, for full understanding. I can create a situation in which people can regurgitate stuff back for the test and not internalize any of it. If I keep them mm-hmm. busy enough, but if maybe we breathe, and rest. Yeah. Maybe it's going to go beyond. I memorized it for the test. to Oh, now I actually understand this, right? And you get that mm-hmm. that deep level of knowledge. So I've been thinking about this this ecological relationship of all the interdependent parts of a learning space. And time is one example. Uh, there are lots of other examples, but rest is an important thing. So practically speaking, here are some things you can do. Um. And I'm talking about people who want to be teachers at any level. Okay, this is if you're going to teach second grade, you're going to teach doctoral candidates, whatever. Um, I do not I do not assign work over breaks. If it is a three day weekend, it's a three day weekend and you get your weekend. If it's spring break, you do not have to read a book over spring break. You don't have a paper due the day you come back from spring break. I don't do that. Partly because I don't want to have to grade that thing. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. I mean, every work I give you is right. So, but but you need a break. I know that I need a break when spring break rolls around. So my students probably do too. So I take that seriously. I don't assign work over breaks. A break has to be a break, right? You should not be at the beach with stacks of papers on your lap. You should, you should be at the beach, right? Just, (laughs) Right. Doing whatever you do on the beach, relaxing, sleeping in the sun, getting sunburned. I don't know. Yeah. So that's a a very practical thing is to allow the the, the breaks that are already scheduled breaks, right? The holidays whatever. Let them be breaks for everybody's sake. Don't feel the need to add more. A second practical thing that teachers can do from a sort of a curricular standpoint is to fight against the idea that rigor equals more. Now, there are times when it does. Right. So there are times when when more work is the rigorous thing. But the problem, I think, in in education in general, big, broad brushstrokes terms is if we have made a very simple equation that, well, if it's rigorous, that means it's more of a thing. And I don't think that's always true. Rigor is finding a really strategic use (laughs) of whatever your resource is to achieve a desired end. Right. Right. And so it might be again to get to the the weightlifting analogy, rigor isn't arm day every day. Rigor is well, we did biceps a couple of days ago, so now we're gonna really isolate our triceps or, or something like that. Or rigor is saying, hey, you know what? There's other parts of the body. You know, don't skip leg day. Okay, so we're, right. So if you think about whatever subject it is that you're teaching, it might be that rigor is not we're gonna do. Um, you know, if it's a math class, this is a pretty typical high school math class. We're going to do a full page of, you know, or two whatever every day. You know, that kind of math class cycle they have. What if rigor was? No, you're going to have one problem tonight, and uh, and it's it's just we're checking in. Or what if rigor was. You're not going to have any homework problems tonight. Maybe you're just going to go home. I have a YouTube video I've assigned you tonight. You're going to watch this YouTube video and think about how it connects. And tomorrow in class, we're going to talk about how it connects with this, I don't know, whatever it is we've been learning. There, I, and again, without getting discipline specific, it's, I can't give great examples. But I, I think that we have to be more strategic and more surgical with, with our teaching. And that means that maybe it's we're going to focus in on this little thing and do a little bit less, but what we do is more focused. So uh, if I give you homework in my class, you'll know that I didn't just do that to keep you busy. I did that for a very specific strategic reason. And that means I don't give homework actually that often because generally if I do, it's because I'm trying to reinforce something very, very specific. And I communicate that with students, right? So they're all on the same page, right? So there's a lot of people can have a lot of complaints about my teaching, but one complaint they generally don't have is that I give them busy work because the the purpose of every activity has been made so clear. And I'm so careful about my time and my students' time. Yeah. Your time is valuable. And so if I'm going to give you something, I'm going to make sure it's a really important thing to give you. And it's not just right. more for the sake of more because, because I'm uncritically just dumping stuff on top of you and right. i might i might critically dump stuff on top of you but i've chosen and i'll communicate why right and and so mm-hmm. that we're all on the same page with it so that's those are two practical things for it from the the that affect the student right uh, uh assigning no or not assigning work over breaks and being really strategic with work that get, that does get assigned outside of class and sparing with it right But then the the third one is, is for teachers. And this is one that took me a long, long time to learn. And this was advice I got from a mentor early in my teaching career. He said, okay, uh, you need to come in early, stay late and work weekends, but you only do one, you pick one. Yeah, we're all thinking like, oh, no, I have to do all this. He said, pick one of those. So he said, my life begins at four o'clock. He said, four o'clock comes, kids are out of the room. I'm done because I choose to come in early. So he would come in at 5 a.m. or something like that. And he said, I go out, I go out to shows. I go to music and dinner with friends. I'm free in the evenings because I come in early. Some people don't want to do that. They want to stay late. That's fine and some people want to work on weekends and then have just a, a shorter work day during the week and that's fine if that's works for your schedule but the the really important thing is to pick one. Uh churches and schools share this. As institutions, both of them will take and take and take and take and take and they will not stop. Yeah. They they will not draw the boundary. A school yeah. will not draw a boundary for it. a church will not draw the There are occasionally individuals, you know, that might Mm -hmm. like a a really uh, a pastor who gets it might say, no, you can't volunteer anymore. (laughs) You know, Uh, no. A principal who gets it might say, no, you can't be on another committee. Right. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, these are institutions that rely on. And I think in in the best of intentions, people giving and giving and giving of themselves. But they're not going to draw the boundary. So it is incumbent upon the teacher (laughs) to draw that boundary. No, I will not work on the weekends. Now, that means I'm going to work long days during the week, but I do not grade or plan on weekends. And it takes some time to learn. And it's countercultural, right? Because we we have this this, uh, dialogue and this discourse of more is better. More is rigorous. Mm-hmm. More is true commitment. And I think more is more is how you tear your muscles, right? More is how you actually don't have gains uh, if every day is arm day. Yeah. So yeah. those are three kind of practical uh, things, A uh, piece of advice I give to all of my pre-service teachers and folks who want to yeah. go into education. Well, and that's like
0: so much of this crosses over to if you have no intention to ever teach in your life and you're already out of school, like- specifically the because if we're being super realistic like the capitalism just to get super broad with it and like the way that working environments are for the most part in the u.s aside from you know some companies who are maybe very aware of burnout and really intentionalized rest but that's not really like you know if some 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 work environments that might be a huge priority i don't think it is for most um there yeah i think that something that i've found a lot of my friends and i have all struggled with especially coming out of college and going into the workforce is like oh okay this is we don't get a break like cool this is fun and the there's a much like there's such high stakes when you're living on your own and it's like oh i work and i make money to live <laughs> like, I can't just <laughs> take a break. Like, that's not how this works. And I think that I've talked to so many friends who are like, and if you just go on any, like, you know, if you go on Twitter, if you go on TikTok, and there's people in their 20s, like, there are so many people just being like, I'm supposed to do this till I'm like 70? Like, how? Like, how is that even supposed to happen? And I think that it's one thing that I've been living on my own. I live alone. So, like, I very much so I live alone. And I also really decided to go full throttle into adulthood and and get a dog who was very uh, medically needy and like needed a lot of medical support (laughs) and needed a lot of like emotional support and needed a lot of money to put into vet care. And I really tossed myself into like adult responsibilities pretty hard. Um, And, it's been about a year and a half since I like moved out and like got my own place and started like, you know, really working full time because COVID really threw off the timeline. Um, But I've realized like, I still have such a hard time with like balancing and creating schedules that allow for me to do anything that is not even just like sleeping because I've found that if I, I found that like the one thing that I found is the most confusing about "Quote unquote rest" is like my brain just interpreted that as I need to go take naps, which is fair. Like I, I do try really hard to make sure I get like eight hours of sleep, or else I'm an I'm not as good of a a worker the next day. Like I don't do as I, I can tell that I'm not as good at my job the next day. But I found even more so that like the the sleeping part is actually not as much of what I the rest quote unquote that I need. It's like. Me trying to find things that are actually fulfilling for me and are actually like um, intentional and actually bring me joy and aren't just like the kind of mundane routine of my week. Because my job right now is not a job that I like, I'm a nanny. It's not something that I necessarily want to do for the rest of my life. It's not like my dream job. And so it's not a job that like every day I'm like, this is what I've been designed to do. Like that's not really how my job is. And so I found that like me prioritizing literally like date days, like with myself of like, oh, I'm going to go antiquing because that makes me really happy. And like, I'm going to go to the beach with Stevie and we're going to go do a beach day. And even further, like taking time away from Stevie. Like I, for the first time, she's a year and a half, uh, yesterday, um, for the first time since I got her, which I got her when she was seven and a half weeks old. Um, like three weeks ago, I literally took my first day of going and doing something fun by myself with without her, where it wasn't, I know, <laughs> it wasn't me leaving to go grocery shopping. It wasn't me leaving to go like get gas or go run errands or even to go hang out with a friend. It was me leaving just to go, like, I literally went to like the farmer's market and did like, Um, But like not for the intention of groceries, just for the intention of like walking around. And I Mm -hmm. went to, um, I went antiquing and I went and walked around and like sat in a coffee shop, which I haven't done in a year and a half, partially because of COVID and partially because I, it felt really wrong to just go sit in a coffee shop by myself and know that she was home and like alone and not being played with. And it was like, oh, I'm failing her. So I literally went to my parents' house. I dropped her off and I was like, you get to hang out with Gigi and Papa and you get to have a play date with with them. And in my head, I was feeling great that she was being taken care of and having fun. And I took like a, a day for myself for the first time in a year and a half. And I think that you don't realize that like you're not actually doing things that are making you happy until you start doing them. And then it's like, oh, okay. Like I don't actually feel exhausted after this. I feel like really like, rejuvenated and kind of refreshed of like, oh, I got to go do something that was fun and like didn't have any timelines on it. And part of that, like, I think it's a really good point to bring up the fact that most institu- institutions are not going to set boundaries for you. And if you're willingly doing more work and you're willingly putting it overtime, I think especially in a job where it is like an hourly paid job and you're not getting paid overtime and you're just putting extra time in just to put extra time in, it's like, they're not going to tell you to stop that. You know what I mean? Like that's something that you have to set a boundary for. Um, a church is a great example. Cause like I've, I was volunteering in my church. I don't have church anymore. Um, <laughs> Cause we had it out. But um, when I was in really involved in my church as a high schooler, I was a 16, 17 year old who was in college. Cause I did running start. So I was taking college classes. I was taking, over a full load. So like what was a full load for for their credit wise, I was taking like five credits over that. And then I was volunteering at my church. I was like working, I think three different jobs. I was dog walking, I was babysitting, and then I was tutoring. And I was also like in the choir at my church. I was on the worship team. I was on the prayer team. I was doing production. I was on every single team I could physically be on. Not once did I ever have anyone come up to me and say, Hey, we need you to step back a little bit because this, there's no way this is healthy for you as a teenager to have this much responsibility. It Mm -hmm. was, we're getting, essentially we're getting free labor (laughs) from a teenager without paying them. And like, of course, like it was benefiting them. And that's not just to like, you know, crap on all churches. But I think Mm -hmm. that I wasn't old enough to know that like I needed to probably take a step back. And so I, my therapist recently asked me, like, when was the last time you, like, when did you, when do you think the burnout started? And I was like, oh, um, years. Like, (laughs) I don't think I have a great answer for you on that. I would guess around like 16, 17. Um, Mm. but like, even then, I could have been earlier than that. And I think that there has been a lot more conversation around rest and burnout and like, especially in the last year, like there's been a lot of talk about burnout, even social media. It's like all the little infographics and stuff, but I think it's just so not the way that the world is, is built that like rest is not prioritized. And so it's something that you often kind of have to fight for and like really have to like push, like, no, I'm going to rest. I'm going to rest because the way the world is built is not built for that.
1: I, I had a, I'm not going to name names, but a, a pastor, that I knew who in a moment of I think bragging, maybe, he said, uh, well, you know, the devil doesn't take a vacation, so neither do I. And my response was, You actually want to model yourself after the devil. <laughs> yeah, maybe not the best. I mean, I mean, that that's yeah, right. Um, you mentioned capitalism a second ago, and you, you were kind of, mm-hmm. you know, but I think there's there's a bit more, I think you're on to something, I guess. Uh sociologically there's that Protestant work ethic, right? This idea that, uh, our, our reward in heaven kind of stems from the labor that we put in here. And so the more we work, the more our reward will be. And even, you know, just as a general American value, right. That's true. We work more than any other industrialized nation. Our, our work hours are longer. Our productivity is lower, right. Because we're not resting. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, even for, uh, folks in America who aren't, aren't christian you know which is a, a large part of the nation that protestant work ethic right that that sort of general assumption still exists there uh but i, I would say because you mentioned capitalism specifically i'm gonna I'm not, i don't want to get all like marxist on everybody but uh <laughs> marx was not entirely wrong <laughs> uh, and <laughs> so there's this commodification of people right where where we see people as a as a commodity and therefore a, a disposable resource, and mm-hmm. again, I don't think anybody thinks this overtly, right? I'm not I'm not like trying to point fingers at, at like oh you people are just objects that you can use up and, and maybe there are a few people that actually think that way, but I think most people don't. But it is right. built into sort of the, 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 deep capitalist assumptions. And so when right. you have a 16, 17 year old kid who's volunteering on five committees at a church, nobody stops to say that's not good for you. Right. Not because they're bad people who don't care about you and who, who just want to, you know, that's not it at all. But there is this deep assumption that the purpose of people is to serve the institution to the point that they can no longer do it. Right. That, that it, that it breaks them. Um, and so, uh, like, you know, my father's generation, you talk about somebody, I'm a company man. Right. And what, Mm -hmm. what that meant was I am loyal to my allegiance is to this, this company. And I put in my 40 years and I get a gold watch and a pension at the end, then, you know, life expectancy being what it was, you probably died three or four years later, right? Because your usefulness, your utility as a person, had been used up in your work. Yeah, and you know, there are certain classrooms. So to come back, come back to the teaching, learning spaces, quite often operate that way, right? Yeah. Where the the um, we are going to use you up and and burn you out. Both the teacher does and and unintentionally the students get wrapped up into that same com- commodified vision in which right. you you exist in order to well to what i mean that's 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 the way to, to what what to what end? <laughs> Yeah. so now to go a, a little deeper with this you can also look at this as a um an eschatological issue. And so for those of you who don't know that particular term, it's a, it's a term that refers to the end times, right? So uh, in, in, in the Christian world, right, we talk about eschatology is what, you know, heaven, right? What we believe about the nature of heaven and when we're going to be going to heaven and how we get there, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So think about high schools for a second here. Uh, when you were in high school, Again, big broad brushstroke. What is the the sole purpose of all the educational activity? Why are we doing? Why are we making you write all these essays? And what is the the light at the end of the tunnel? What what was it for you? I mean, college. Co- right, like, go to college. For us, it was college. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it was. Uh, it's it was all about prepping you for college. Yeah, the promised land. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's there's this. Uh, there's the promised land. There's there's this place we want to go. And it's it's college, it's heaven. But to do that, you gotta stay on the straight and narrow, right? To continue with some right. of these Christian metaphors, right? And so we have to work really, 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 really hard to get there. And so um we develop this. And I, I mean this actually quite literally. We start testing the hell out of students. Right. We're going, um, and it, it operates off a deficit model Well, you're broken, you're sinful. Right. And so we have to fix you so you can get to heaven, i.e. College. And, um, and so we create this workload and these, this environment that is designed to propel you towards this one thing. And if you dare to go off the side, right. I don't want to go to college. I want to do this. Well, then you're a failure. Yeah. You're, you're, you're a non-believer, right. You're outside. Well then you get to college, right? And well, what is the sole purpose now of college? Well, in our current environment, get a job. Get a job. Yeah, it's all about, it's all about the work. <laughs> yeah, workforce. It's workforce prep. Right. And so if if a college is not focusing all of its students towards getting into the workforce, right? I mean, that's that's a measure that's being used now is what is the average income of your alumni? Right. That's actually being used Mm. to rate and compare colleges, the average uh, average salary of, of alumni. And so if you're not preparing you for the workforce, we're not preparing you for heaven. Right. And and so, again, it's an eschatological question. Where is where is the good? Where is heaven? It's well, it's this thing that's at the end of the road. Right. Well, a very different eschatology is right. the kingdom of God is here and now. Right. So to look, to look at that in, in educational terms, maybe we're, maybe the job is not to prepare you for this future. Good. Maybe the job is to prepare you for a fulfilling full life. Now, maybe what you're learning in class could be fulfilling now. Maybe it could be interesting now. And instead of, instead of saying, well, it's, well, you'll, you'll need this when you get to college. This it's always deferred, right? And yeah, that is absolutely going to burn you out. If the good, if the promise is always a deferred promise and it never has any present moment benefit and present moment value, then yes, absolutely. We, we are, we are. How to say it's the best. Do you remember when you were really young, really young kindergarten, and you just loved to learn naturally? And by the time you got to your Mm -hmm. senior year of high school, you could not wait. We So we kill it, right? We kill that natural thing, right? Our school structures just obliterate this... Sort of natural inclination to learn and and discover the world around us because it's always about a future good and it's never about yeah. well wait what matters now what matters to you in your life so when Professor Ewart said well wait a second here's this thing you're interested in now yeah, right let's make right. this applicable and there's still a skill set you're practicing right of you know having outcomes and and creating a lesson plan that aligns with those outcomes and and being able to to demonstrate that. That was Professor Ewart acknowledging. Well, the the future good is not the only good that we can be talking about. We can we can be looking right. at the again metaphorically the kingdom of God here and now. Yeah, this could mean something to you now. It could be beneficial now. It could it could change you in ways that have nothing to do with the job market.
0: Right. Yeah, I think and, that had been the perspective too. That like. I had been able to have during college, like everyone that I've spoken to that didn't get a job in their field straight out of college, especially because, I mean, I was a graduating class literally in COVID. (laughs) So like we got thrown into like, congrats, the workforce is literally like, you guys got screwed. (laughs) Like And we got tossed into it. And like, I'm nannying. I have a degree in psychology. Like that's not something in my field. And I have, because it's something that didn't, it doesn't line up with that exact thing. Like I felt like such a failure. And I think that most people have, everyone that I've talked to that doesn't have a job in their field, like feels like they're failing unless it's a field that they've realized they didn't actually, like they don't actually want to be in. But if it's a field where they really are, have tried to get a job in that field and you're not in the quote unquote workforce that you thought you were going to be in, you feel like an absolute failure. And kind of being, it, it takes away from the idea that um, you know, maybe you can actually learn about it right now or learn anything from it right now. And funny enough, it's funny that we're talking about this cause this was not even, you know, wasn't on the the list of things to chat about, but I was literally talking to my partner last night about just the fact that so often we have so much pressure put on ourselves and, um, the, the he was talking about the fact that you often people often don't feel like they deserve to be happy because you feel like you have all this pressure, whether that's like workforce pressure, whether that is it, it from a religious context the the idea that you really are like working your tail off to like deserve this like really big gift that was given to you and you feel like you have to like work as hard as you can to like almost feel justified to get any of the quote-unquote blessings from it or you're trying to work as hard as you can to do as much like change as many lives on earth so that when you get to heaven you feel like you did a good job and I think that it does really take away from any um almost any ability to feel present and mindful at all about like how you're actually living your life now and he was talking about the fact that He had to really change his perspective and started, um, it's the cutest thing in the world, but started doing this thing where when he was having moments that he really loved in the present moment, he verbally says, this is a really beautiful moment. Mm -hmm. He says it out loud. He says it all the time. And it's the sweetest thing in the world, but it's also like, yeah, like how mindful and present and intentional that like, you're you're not constantly thinking of all these different things of what how is this going to affect me in the future? What can I get from this? It's just a oh wow, like I'm learning something right now, or this is really beautiful and it's applying to right now. And I think that was never something that was present in like the way that I was taught high school. And it was only communicated from very few people in college. And I mean, there was more prioritization with rest and um self-care in college. Um I think partially even just because of the time that I went to college self-care had definitely started to be talked yeah. about in society more. In high school it, there was nothing. Like it was like we're working you to the bone. If you're having a hard time, like you're failing and it's your fault. And you're talking about kids, like literal kids who are often going through a lot and mm. you you you're putting them through the ringer and they have no a lot of times no support system or no ability to cope, even like you don't even really know coping mechanisms sometimes yet. Like it's like you're there's a lot of uh a lot of learning that for me at least happened in college where self-awareness all of a sudden was like hello and coping mechanisms, you know, introduced themselves, but I didn't really have those in high school. And so as hard as my college experience was, like my high school experience was also like I, I was a lot more academically um rigorous in high school than I was in college. In college it was my goal to get to get not uh, to get B's and C's. It was my goal because in, in high school I put so much pressure on myself to get A's that it, I would literally be sobbing like yeah. trying to study for tests because I was so terrified of like what happens if I don't get an A. And it was to the point where like, I'd be up at like three in the morning trying to study for tests. My mom would come in and be like, you need to go shower and like take a second because like you're having a full meltdown right now and this mm-hmm. is not good for you. And it, it's just, it does that those are kids that you're, you're instilling habits and you're building these habits where they're not taking care of themselves. And like that does continue into adulthood. Like once you leave college, if you've built all these habits where you're just working yourself to the bone, you don't know how to set good boundaries. You don't know how to rest. Like, of course you can learn still as an adult, but like it is hard to break those habits. Like once you're, once you get into the workforce and then you're like, okay, well, we're just going to keep trucking along and keep being exhausted. And it's not, it's not a healthy cycle. And it's also not helping. I mean, it's helping, you know, people who'd like to take advantage of you, but it's not helping like the collective whole of society with, with the way that our mental health is just plummeting. Like it's not, not a good trend
1: no and there's a lot of uh, there are a lot of factors that contribute to sort of the the um the mental health situation you know with you know with covid and workforce issues and and you know uh, america's a a sick place and i I, yeah. I i don't mean disgusting i mean i mean our our soul is is yeah. ill right the american soul is ill we're a we're a a wonderful country that's really, really messed up, with with yeah. such potential and such damage, and 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 that you know that gets in under your skin. I, I want to make it clear, to clarify something I said earlier when I was talking about sort of workforce, you know, the the deferred the good uh, versus you know a uh, uh, a current good. I don't think it's an either or, right? And I think this is this is part of the the we don't talk well in nuance culturally we talk really well in bi- in binaries it's this or it's this and absolutely i want my students to be employable when, when they get out of our programs out of our university i want them to have a, a marketable skill set a useful skill set i want them to be able to adapt that skill set to a wide variety of situations absolutely i want that and i do think that hey look our students find jobs and contribute meaningfully to society in, in their employment is a good thing to look at. So I'm not against that at all. And I want to make that clear, but it's gosh, it's not the only, it's not the only metric, it's not the only goal. And I think the, the, the teacher's job at the high school level to high school teachers, this is low hanging fruit, right? We can do this. Um, I think it's the teacher's job to, to say, yes, it's both. Here's how, so like when you were learning psychology, right? I mean, I can think of as you're learning about relationships, and you're learning about why do I react the way I react to these types of things. And um, I remember when I learned cognitive dissonance theory, right, as an undergraduate, mm-hmm. and and this idea that well, what's driving my behavior is this subconscious des- the subconscious desire to to minimize the the dissonance between two cognates. Like I I believe this about myself, but I acted this way, right then that, that's causing me all kinds of, ah, right. And well, okay, now I understand that was mind blowing for me. And it actually impacted mm-hmm. me in, in my relationships and my, my day-to-day behavior. um. But I've always been kind of naturally reflective on thinking, how does this apply to me now? So I don't think it's an either, or I just, I just want yeah. to make that, make that clear that I, 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 you know, we, it is work is important, right? Work is not a yeah. bad thing. Work. um So you asked me earlier about this break I've taken uh, as a college professor yeah. at my university. I have the option of taking a sabbatical every seven years and you apply for it. And I was approved. And so I am wrapping up right now a one semester sabbatical at full pay where I took a semester off. I had no university responsibilities whatsoever. Um, and I'm writing a book and I've I took a motorcycle trip and I've been traveling and it's been amazing. Um and I had a point to this, and I've just forgotten what it was. That's <laughs> um, I don't remember what my point was. Uh, it was something about. Uh, oh yes, I remember now. Thank you. Um, and what I'm now that I'm at the tail end of my sabbatical, I'm ready to go back to work. I I want to work. Um, that was going to be a question I had for you: Is yeah. how you feel about going back? I mean, there are certain elements that I'm not. You know, like I have, I have some committees that I want and they're important committees and they matter and, I, and we do good work. You know, am am I looking forward to sitting on committees? Not necessarily, but it is meaningful work. Um, right. Am I looking forward to having a commute again? No. Uh, <clears> you know, <throat> a, am I looking forward to, you know, having some constraints on my time that currently I don't have? Yes and no. I like I like a schedule. You know, I yeah. I, I like having that. But I, I like... I like my job. I like my colleagues. I love my students. Um and so I am actually looking forward to going back to work. And I I, I work matters. Work is important. Um mm-hmm. you know the, the the not all work is necessarily employed employment. You know, I mean there's work people we do that matters. It isn't necessarily a paying job. But right, I'm not ready right. to I'm not ready to retire. I guess is my and I've learned that after this, this semester off, I've learned, I, I don't want to keep doing this. I want to go back to the office. Uh, you know, it's been a couple of years because of COVID since I've really worked out. of, the, I've been to my office, I think three times in the last two years, you know? So mm-hmm. uh, it'll be interesting going back in and, and not working from home. And so I am going to have yeah. to relearn because I, I had done a really good job building. I work really hard. Monday through Friday, long hours. And on the weekends, I am home. I do not work on weekends. And I had done a pretty good job of building that. You know, COVID destroyed (laughs) all those boundaries. And so I'm going to have to relearn those and kind of rebuild those. But even that I'm kind of looking forward to because uh, I know I've been in therapy. Uh, for the last year and a half or so, because I was getting really angry. You know, COVID had happened mm-hmm. and I, I, you know, we were working so hard and our students are working so hard. And it feels like it was all just spinning our wheels. And I was, I was getting snappy and, and angry and cynical. And I'm not a cynical person, but I was getting cynical, like in meetings, mm-hmm. like oh, openly before that's never going to work. You know, you know, that kind of thing, not contributing yeah. any anything to the, the community but just being bitter and i was that I, I was a person i didn't like right and i got called yeah. on i got called on it by by my administrators uh rightly so rightly so and uh uh so i started therapy about a year and a half ago and uh it's been um a, a game changer right it's yeah. been uh in terms of learning how to to express my emotions in healthy ways. Uh, to even identify I grew up in a house where we didn't talk about negative emotions, right? We had them, but Mm -hmm. we certainly didn't discuss them. And so I, I never knew how to pro except for blowing up. I never knew how to process, uh, negative emotions. So, so that, that journey has been really good. So now going into work, even though it's hard we're still, we're still in COVID, you know, where it's not done. Yeah. Uh, and, and so even going into this, what's going to be, it's, which is a tough environment and, and academia is a tough environment just in general. Uh, I am excited. I'm ready to go in and do the best job I can do. And also know what I can't do and, and say no to it. Uh, and I think I'm going to go in and, in a, probably in the healthiest place I've been partly because I had a chance to rest and I, I got to break a cycle of cynicism and bitterness right. because I had time away from it. Partly because right. of, th- of the therapy I've been getting. And then the third thing, and I want to, I really want to bring this up and it ties back to something you said at the beginning. Uh, there are foundations, right? There are fundamentals in any discipline that uh, you have to keep on, on top of. I used to be a, um, a professional pianist running your scales, Right, you, you, it's just this a thing you do, right? Michael Jordan would spend hours at the free throw line, and he practices. Mm-hmm. This is even when he's, you know, Michael Jordan. You know, he still practices his dribbling. Right, there are fundamentals right. you have to stay on top of, and it's only after those fundamentals are in place that you can really get up to kind of next level stuff. And then, whether you're looking at Maslow's hierarchy of needs or, you know, whatever, you can't have self-actualization until you have a place to sleep, right? And you're, <laughs> and right. you're fed. Right. So when you're when you were talking about eating. Part of what this break has let me do is um, reestablish some of the fundamentals. I'm going to exercise consistently. I'm going to have a healthy diet. I'm going to, by and large, sleep, you know, eight hours a day. Um, I haven't perfected that, but I have gotten into a fairly consistent, healthy, you know, going to bed at 10 o'clock instead of 1 a.m., you know, Uh, (laughs) things like that. Uh, Having a, a, a routine breakfast. Drinking more water than I drink coffee, <laughs> little, right. little things. And these by themselves are not going to create wellness, but they are the fundamentals that allow you to create wellness. Right. right. <laughs> and then, um, but if they're not in place, uh, everything you're just going to spin your wheels. If you're, if you're getting three hours of sleep a night, you can do all the, mindfulness and, you know, yoga you, you want to do and it won't matter yeah. because you're sleeping three hours a night. Right. right. Um, so, uh, so I've gotten a chance to, to really get back to some of the fundamentals over this break. Uh, I didn't start off there, right. <laughs> when my sabbatical started, I was doing the 1am thing. Right. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> it, but, but, but over the, over the semester, I've gotten a chance to really get back into some fundamentals. And because of that, I am then able to do yoga and have it really be this settling settling thing. And I'm able to go out and exercise and have it be where I stop at the top of the hill and I have the view and I say, this is a wonderful moment, you know? <laughs> um, right. You know, and it's not just about, I also do races really slowly. I like to do uh, ultra marathons and I'm crazy slow. Yes. I want to finish the race as well as I can finish the race, but I also do stop and look at the, you go, oh, this is just a gorgeous view, right? This is just, what a great yeah. moment. I'm alive right now, yeah. you know? That cannot happen yeah. if I am not drinking water and eating and sleeping. So I those are not, they're not magic tricks and, and by themselves, they're not gonna create wellness, right? I mean, I think, uh, but they are necessary conditions for wellness to be there. You can't have, you can't grow in those other ways <laughs> if you don't have the fundamentals in place. Um, uh, and it, again, at 46 years old, I'm still relearning that. And so the, yeah. the rest I got to take the break allowed me to get back into those practices, uh, and, yeah. and to reestablish the fundamentals, which was, that's why I feel good about going back to work. You know, that's why right. I'm not dreading it. I I'm not dreading the end of this. I'm actually really excited about it. I'm excited to see my students and I'm, I'm teaching some new classes. I'm excited about that. Um, yes, it's going to be a lot of work. Okay. I'm, yeah, I'm excited. So, <laughs> yeah. so that's, that's where I'm at. And I, I don't have like a magic formula for how I got there, but, um, I was privileged enough to have a semester off and not have to worry financially in that time. Right. That's an incredibly privileged position. I'm aware of that. I, I, I don't know what else to say about that, but yeah, it was an opportunity I had. (laughs) Right. So I, so I took it. Uh, But um, with some wise counsel along the way, I've really reestablished those, those fundamentals and feeling good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see how they last. The trick now is how can I implement (laughs) them and keep them going once I'm back into a 40, 50 hour work week? Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Right. How am I going to do that? And so that's where the conversation has shifted with my therapist is okay, you've got you got it figured out now in this context. How are you going to mm-hmm. get it figured out in that context? So things like, yeah, could I ride my bike to work and have that be my exercise, right? And then it takes care of, you know, a commute and it doesn't, you know, it's 30 miles. So maybe not every day, <laughs> but <Yeah>. maybe <laughs> I'm, I'm shooting for Mondays. I'm going to say, I'm going to try to ride my bike to work on Mondays, right? And then- Uh, I don't don't know. I don't have it figured out yet exactly how it's going to work when my context changes, Uh, but I'm hopeful that I'm going to be able to to make that transition.
0: Yeah. And I think as even if like people are listening and they don't have the chance to do that giant break, um, I've had a similar experience with the fundamental part of it of like trying to kind of reestablish um, really basic habits with like my very basic needs, because I feel like when you're behind on those basic needs, it kind of always feels like you're playing catch up. Um, whether that's like catch up on sleep, catch up on meals, catch up on, you know, Oh, like, Oh, I have to, I have to do laundry. I have to do this. And it's, it just always feels like everything. You're just a step behind. Um, and I think like from my experience at the very least, like trying to tackle one thing at a time of adding those fundamentals back in, like one at a time, if you don't have a time to do like a kind of a big purge of -hmm. everything and kind of do a reset. Um, For me, it was like definitely starting with, with food and sleep and trying to get into good habits of going to to bed at a good time and setting a good schedule for like what I'm eating. Um, And even like meal planning, although I don't really cook, but I do have like a, I have a laminated piece of paper on my fridge that says meal plan. And I have like a little dry erase marker that I will like write out things, even if that's literally like takeout like on Friday, like sure. just having a little bit of a game plan so that I don't feel as stressed out. Um, cause for me with food, not being a huge priority for such a long time, if I need to eat and I don't have a plan already made, I'll often just like opt not to eat. Cause it's like, okay. oh, I don't want to cook. I don't want to plan anything. So I'll just skip it. Um, and then, like, with sleep, just putting in good, like, habits of what time to go to sleep. But I literally, I did this all, like, I'm definitely not there yet, 100%, but did it all kind of one at a time where it was like, okay, so, like, I've been really good at eating and sleeping for a month. Like, I'm going to start taking vitamins. <laughs> and, like, just slowly, like, putting little things back in that might, like, mm-hmm. help with, um just my mental health and my well-being but um, I still have like a few things that I'd like to add in that I'm just trying to kind of take it slow and add things in as I feel like I have the capacity to do so Um, but yeah I definitely think that I've all like when I first moved out here I didn't have any good habits in place any good structures and it was like Especially after COVID, because I wasn't working and I just had like, you know, weeks and weeks of just like sitting there. And I was like, I don't know what to do. I can't go anywhere. I'm at my parents' house. Like, this is weird. I don't have school. Like, it was just a weird thing. And so I think trying to build those structures back up was very odd. And it definitely took a while. And during the time that I didn't have them, I was way more depressed. Like, I was way more, um, had like way more like obsessive thoughts. And like, I Mm -hmm. just had so much more, um, I was also going through a lot of deconstruction things with different things in my life, whether that be religion or like values I had been taught. And yeah, definitely hit like a really bitter, really angry, like, and I'm still kind of coming out of that for sure. Like I've, I've started by just deleting a lot of social media because I realized that like my bitterness was just manifesting in me going toe to toe with random ass strangers online. Cause I felt like I could, um, so I just come at people for no reason. Um, but yeah, I think like trying to take it, if you don't have the time to take a major break, like just trying to take it one step at a time and also being really graceful with yourself if you don't do it perfectly or you do really good with eating for a few weeks and then you have a really bad week or you do really good with sleeping and then you have a night where you're up till four in the morning. Like, you know, just just having grace with yourself that there's going to be things where habits mm-hmm. take a while to build um, and just good kind of routines take a while to build. Um, but yeah, I think just having like grace with yourself on top of that, because if you're shaming yourself and slapping yourself on the hand for not having good self care, that kind of opposes the idea of self care.
1: <laughs> and in in different contexts of your life, you're going to have to relearn these. It's not like you're going to learn yeah. these habits and then you've got it for the rest of your life. It's like, in my example, I figured out how to do it here. But when I go back to work, I'm going to have to figure it out again. And yeah. someday when I retire, I'll have to figure it out again. Uh, there's Eric right. Erickson's, you know, sort of uh, life stages, identity theory that, you know, we, we have these identity crises and all the habit reformation that accompanies them at, you know, different stages of our lives. We, we aren't one person through our whole life and we don't have, we don't figure it out when we're, you know, 22 and then it stays with us forever. No, we have to keep right. relearning and that's okay. That's not doing it wrong. That's being a human being. Right that, right. that exists in different contexts in different times of your life. And so maybe like you, Fina, maybe you were, had some of those things really well mm-hmm. figured out in high school, maybe like, you know, valedictorian Fina. Right. And then you got to college in this change where I no longer have this structure imposed upon me. And now I have to relearn it. That's okay. And then yeah. someday, you know, you have a, you move in with somebody, you have a roommate, you get married, whatever. Now I have to figure out how those things work Re-learn. with another person <laughs> in my house. Yeah. Right. And then I have kids. Okay. So how does that work? Uh, yeah. And we have to keep reading and and that's okay. Right. That yeah. That's okay to constantly be working towards it. But what I tell all my students is that there is, it is never too late. Right. You could, you could be tomorrow could be the day you're going to die and yeah. that could still mean that tomorrow morning you're going to choose to get up and have a good healthy breakfast right i mean uh yeah. because it is never too late to make to say i'm going to do something different tomorrow than i than i yeah. did today it, yeah. you never reach a point it, ever in your life and most of the things we're talking about here are are things that are not dependent on say you know socioeconomic status or or no some people they can't eat well because they don't know where they're going to get their food, right? For and, sure, yeah. Right, and and or they live in sort of one of those urban deserts, you know, where their healthy choices are really super hard to come by, and right, um, right. right? and some people might have job or life situations that really honestly preclude. Good sleep, and and I, I get yeah. that, and I I want to acknowledge that those exist, and and um acknowledge that there is a, a degree of privilege in saying no, I'm going to be able to actually control what I eat and when, and yeah, and, I'm, and I have choices. across the board thing, right? It's no, it's not. Um, and again, this gets out to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? That it's really hard to move up to the sort of personal growth and personal wellness if those fundamental bottom of the triangle shelter. Clothing, safety and security, if those things aren't met, it's really hard to to take the next steps. Um, and there are people in some situations, you know, here and abroad that that are in that don't have those things met. And and we could talk right. about wellness until we're blue in the face. But, you know, if you're living in, in Syria in the middle of a civil war, wellness is not it's yeah. kind of a moot point. Right. Because you're just trying to stay alive. Yeah. <laughs> so. so, yeah, it's
0: also not a priority. Like you're I feel like when you're in a survival mode and that's honestly why like the whole me trying to develop good fundamental routines with my needs is something that only came about after I left college because like my entire college experience was very much so in survival mode like I was Mm -hmm. just trying to make it through I had a lot of trauma I had a lot of things where I wasn't trying to like do self-care I was trying to like to be super frank trying not to like end my life. Like that was where I was at. So I was trying to just like make it through. And so I think when you're in that survival mode, the idea of trying to get to a place where you're like thriving is like not even on your radar. You're just trying to make it through a day. Um, but yeah, I think that like, once you're able to kind of get to a place where maybe you're it, and even if you're able to get to a place where your, uh, trauma or your, uh, finances or whatever, like that kind of hardship plateaus a little bit and you're able to kind of like, okay, I can stand on both feet and like things have calmed down or whatever has happened and you're able to take a breath where you can try to focus on actually building a road to like thriving and not surviving. That's kind of where this comes in. But it's definitely, yeah, it's definitely not something that's just like, there's probably a lot of privilege in the conversation itself of just kind of just talking about it almost as if it's like, oh yeah, like self-care and it's it's definitely not it's not it's it's something that not everyone even has access to um but yeah i thank you so much for coming on i'm i feel like this will be i i don't know i i really like listening to you talk i think you have a lot of really great things to say and i think it'll be really helpful for people who maybe want to go into the world of education but i also think it's going to be really encouraging and validating to people who went to college, went to high school, like went through those experiences are going through those experiences. Cause I think it's something that's not talked about very often about just how hard it all is and like how, how often you come out of it feeling just really burnt out. And then you're supposed to hop into the world and you're like, I don't know how to do this. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for sharing your perspective and your wisdom. Cause I think you have a
1: lot of it. (laughs) Tell that to my kids. Um, i uh, I appreciate you, <laughs> appreciate you inviting me on uh you know I, I know we went a couple different directions than than we anticipated but mm-hmm. you know I have a twenty year old daughter and I'm watching her wrestle with a lot of the same things that you were talking about you know like s- developing sleep schedules and oh, I forgot to eat you know and yeah and all that and so you know this is something I'm watching someone I love very much kind of experience some of those same kind of growing things. And, um, I'm just so grateful that you asked me here. I'm so glad to see you maybe on the other side of some of this, right. Cause I haven't had just yeah. talked to you in a couple years and, yeah. um, just to, to see you not just in survival mode, but we're yeah. now I'm able to ask some of these questions and, and implement some of these things. It's really cool.
0: Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. It's definitely, it was one of those things where, When you're very in it, it doesn't feel like there will be an end point. And I think that getting to an end point that has felt pretty finite of like, okay, I actually think that this is like, not that there's never going to be hardship in my life. And I've already been through things since what I went through in college, but like having a point where it's like, I can look back and say, I mean, college was like, it was bad. Like, and seeing how, I think sometimes when you look back with hindsight of like, Ooh, that was real bad. And like Mm -hmm. the idea that I'm not there anymore. I mean, I was, I I was having um, panic attacks that manifested in seizures. So I was seizing all of the time in college, like literally constantly. And even the idea of looking back and being like, I haven't had a seizure in like a year and a half. Like, that's really cool. Just things that like in the moment didn't feel like they would ever be things that I didn't have as a part of my life. It's, it's been very, very, very encouraging. I think as a whole for any hardship that I go through of being like, okay, this is going to have an endpoint. It's going to have an end, point. Have an end point And like, who knows how far away that'll be, but it's going to have an end point. Um, but yeah, thank you again for what you've done for me, what you do for all your students. I think it's so evident that you really care about us as people. And it, I think it has helped a lot of people through like their college experience, because no matter how great your college experience is, it's still just kind of in nature. It's a lot of learning and it can be really tricky, um, both academically and just <laughs> a lot of learning about yourself. Um, but yeah, so thank you for coming
1: on. Thank you for having me. Um, I have a chance. Can I oh, go ahead? Well, I was going to ask if I, <laughs> I can just... plug, if I can plug something.
0: Yeah, I was just going to say, if you had anything that you wanted to let anybody know about
1: this, this is the this is the shot. Okay, so you mentioned Professor Eward. Uh, she and I actually I co- we actually co-authored an article uh, about a year and a half ago on um, how we can how teacher educators like us can respond to our students' fears about COVID, and it's actually oh. uh, it's on, from the Northwest Journal of Teacher Education. Uh, and, but it's, uh, there's no paywall, right? So if we could put a, a link maybe on your blog and people could read it. If they oh want yeah. To. Yeah. That'd be pretty cool. And then, um, you can follow me on Twitter if you ever want to see like pictures of my cats and stuff, uh, <laughs> <laughs> at Dr. Della rocker. And, uh, finally one of my self-care things, one of the things that relax me and restore me is I, it's so cliche. I I've gotten really into vintage Legos and I have a YouTube channel <laughs> devoted to my Lego collection. And so uh we'll put a link to that, I suppose, if we could. Uh so you can it's just sad. It's like middle-age man having <laughs> his his meltdown thing. But you know, if you like vintage Legos and education, I even rap on one of the videos. I wrote a Lego rap. So oh my god. Oh I know. It's as amazing as you can imagine it would be. So if anyone wants to see any of that. There's a, we'll put a link up. I love that. No, I will
0: 100% link all of that. Yeah, no, we can. So if you guys want to check any of that out, I'll put it in the link in the episode notes so that you can check all that out. You can follow uh, Dr. Del Mutter on Twitter, which I would highly suggest very great content. Also, by the way, I deleted my Twitter, so I didn't unfollow you. I just we we called it. I was it was I was so negative. I had to delete it. So, didn't unfollow you. Just literally threw the whole thing in the trash. Um, but yeah, I will I will link all of that. Um I love that you guys did an article together. You guys are like my two favorite not to just like pick favorites, but I'm going to pick favorites. You're definitely my two favorite professors from college. Um but like, I, that's the thing too. I, I love the education program so much. I like wish that I had just like wanted to be a teacher because <laughs> I loved like the program and I loved the professors so much. And it was like, so that was like one of the biggest things for me when I switched over was like, Oh, I have to leave. Like I wanted, cause I never got to take one of your classes. And I was like, I, I wanted to like take one of your classes so bad. Um, but yeah, so they're both great. Obviously you've heard Dr. Delmar talk for a while, but, um, uh, Mary Ewart is also fantastic. Um, but yeah, I will link all of that. Thank you so much again for coming on. I really appreciate it. I think this will be really encouraging to a lot of people.
1: Thank you for having me. Bye, everybody.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you guys so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please rate us five stars on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also follow the blog on Instagram at blog and visit us online at SarafinaBlog.com. And as always, to end our time, unclench your jaw, take a deep breath, and remember you can always learn, you can always grow, and you can always choose to live your life in a more mindful way. I will chat with you guys next week.